Section 7 of Essays on Prohibition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Church and Politics by Edward Allen. From the book Prohibition, edited by Joseph Debar. This is an era of reform, or rather of reforms, largely of reforms that do not reform. Most prominent in the clamor for righteousness, that is the plausible if not voracious appellation of these reformatory manifestations, is the liquor question. In some quarters it is labeled the temperance question. Among people who are disposed to be truthful it is tagged the prohibition wave. Does any one of these titles reveal the true character of the movement? All spontaneous efforts for the betterment of sociological conditions have their origin among the people of this land usually with remarkable uniformity as to locality and creed and nationality. They move on to success or failure on their merits. The present prohibition wave, so called, is an exception to this usual rule. The late free silver craze was an instance of an issue which died on its merits. But the liquor question is still with us in all its virulence, and is as far from settlement as it was fifty years ago. The present uprising against the rum power is manifest in many quarters, not, however, as a spontaneous movement of the people anywhere, but as a convenient cloak for the ulterior purposes of a numerous religious sect which has long been fighting under cover and is now contending in the open for political control of our government, state and national. Men who study public movements of all varieties have been puzzled for some time by the continuing vitality of the present anti-rum outbreak, and by the precision which its maneuvers have been directed by a hidden power. The atmosphere is gradually clearing. The Methodist Church has cast off its temperance domino, has flung aside its mask, and is conspicuously waging a war for rulership in state and national politics. It has no chosen arms in this contest. All weapons are fitted to its hands, and all alliances are welcome. The end justifies the means, is apparently the watchword of the fray. We read in the New Straitsville, Ohio, record of September 11, 1908, that in Ohio, when twenty ministers recently met in church conclave, they so far forgot the object of their coming together that, before discussing any church questions at all, they passed a resolution demanding the nomination of a certain senator who had been their servile henchman in the last general assembly. In the Cincinnati Inquirer of October 11th, we read the following. Cannon's Course Disapproved by the Methodist Conference of Missouri, Special Dispatch to the Inquirer. Tarkio, Missouri, October 10th. The Missouri Conference of the M.E. Church today adopted resolutions expressing disapproval of the course taken by Speaker Cannon in holding up the Interstate Liquor Shipment Bill and urging all voters to support candidates for Congress who will not vote for the re-election of Speaker Cannon. It is hardly possible to pick up a newspaper printed anywhere in the United States 
without finding some evidence of political interference in purely governmental affairs by the anointed of the methodist fraternity acting and speaking ex cathedra in addition to opposing the re-election of speaker cannon they were sufficiently active to prevent the renomination of congressman john jenkins in northern wisconsin for the same reason that has aroused their animosity against speaker cannon namely official opposition to an unconstitutional interstate liquor shipment law these are minor evidences of widespread and thoroughly organized efforts of the methodist church to dominate in rule and state and nation ohio is just now the storm center of the prohibition outbreak the conspiracy in ohio for methodist supremacy had its inception shortly before the election of governor john m pattison who headed the democratic ticket in the fall of nineteen o six mr pattison's nomination was brought about by some strange combinations as was his election the democratic party long in the minority in ohio as elsewhere had been held together for years by a remarkable body of loyal and sturdy men of earnest convictions and high ideals who were democrats from principle trailing after these were the inevitable camp followers with a scent for office as keen as their lack of principle in ideals or methods these mercenaries noting the growing trend towards reform and temperance became active in their search for a candidate who would loom in the public eye as an exponent of these tendencies no one has ever believed that the late governor pattison had any real ambition to be governor of ohio those best informed have always held the belief that he sought the office mainly for the power and opportunity it would give him to be of use to the corporation of which he was president and to the promotion of which he had given the best years of his life this company has always been officered by methodists and has its chief patronage among the adherents of that sect it had prospered mightily in a business exploited along church lines but at the time of mr pattison's candidacy it was well represented in nearly every county in ohio the hungry healers of democracy had not overlooked this fact nor did the anti-saloon league with its standard oil sinews of war and its coffers replete with the offerings of favor-seeking trusts and corporations for be it known that with the anti-saloon league in control of the legislature the purse-strings of the favor-seekers were fairly floating in the breeze when the nominating convention met mr pattison was the only candidate presenting a show of organization and a compact array of delegates the agents of his insurance company in every county had hustled for the president of their company without regard to their personal political preferences in fact political preferences were of small significance in a campaign for methodist church supremacy so what the insurance agent usually a methodist could not accomplish in a county in the way of capturing delegates was cheerfully attended to by the local methodist preacher with the result that when the convention met the brethren were in complete control of the situation no one had ever charged mr pattison with being too strongly imbued with the tenets of democracy his environments were strongly republican and his ideas and the opinion of men who knew him well all leaned in the same direction 
the old-time incorruptibles of the democratic party viewed these tendencies as a leaning toward heresy but the opportunists with their hunger for office welcomed success at any price mr pattison was nominated by the efforts of the methodist brethren aided by the rank and file of the democratic party who were notoriously opposed to everything that mr pattison stood for but who were ready to vote anybody on the ticket who gave promise of success mr pattison was nominated when election day came the motley cohorts of pattisonian democracy marched to the polls and elected him the methodist preacher and his psalm singers and camp meeting shouters rubbed elbows with the poll sellers touts and gamblers and the horse racing fraternity all of whom were disgruntled at governor herrick for vetoing a racetrack pool selling bill the anti-saloon league and its standard oil influence were in evidence on all hands the corporations and trusts came down handsomely at the bidding of their methodist allies and the followers of wesley found themselves easily in the saddle in their first openly conducted political effort for state domination the death of governor pattison followed later came the suits against the union central life insurance company and large amounts for unpaid taxes brought by the treasurer of hamilton county ohio one of these bitterly contested legal battles has been waged to the supreme court of ohio and a decision from which there can be no appeal has been rendered against the company for something like one hundred and eighty four thousand dollars and the company has just effected a compromise of other pending tax cases by paying seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars into the county treasury it was unfortunate for democracy that it should have been led by its hunger for the flesh pots of office into an alliance with any sect or creed it was still more unfortunate that the sect scrambling for power should have chosen for its standard-bearer a man who in his inaugural address exhorted for civic righteousness and the enforcement of the moral law but who according to the late decision of the supreme court of ohio had failed to pay to the treasurer of his home county the taxes due by the insurance company of which he was president democracy was unwise and misled in selecting such a candidate the methodist church and its ambition to control politics and make itself a state power in ohio did only what might be expected of an organization of its nature when it voted unanimously on the democratic ticket for a man who was not at heart a democrat and when it took up for its candidate and as the exponent of its morals a man who accepted the nomination chiefly because in the opinion of those who were close to him he hoped in the event of election to be powerful enough to cover up the tax emissions of his insurance company governor pattison was the only democrat on the ticket who was elected and he made public acknowledgment that he owed his election to the great methodist church of the state of ohio lieutenant governor andrew l harris was a republican and upon his accession to the throne the methodist contention for political power found a staunch supporter caring no more for temperance than do the promoters of the conspiracy who use prohibition as a subterfuge for their political ends governor harris has been the pliant and subservient tool of the three forces which conspire to carry forward 
the Methodist supremacy idea. Governor Harris is an astute crossroads politician, with the face of a fox and the instincts of a weasel. He knows where the ducklings nestle and the broilers roost, and he goes after them. His cowboy methods and stage farmer makeup are cultivated for scenic effect, realizing that the crop of Methodist votes harvested by Pattison would be a convenient and useful adjunct to his granary. He has used the power of his great office strictly and solely in the interests of the trusts and corporations, the anti-saloon league, and the prohibitionists. These three forces may be rightly labeled the wallet and the brains and the right hand of the Methodist Church and its present contention for power. The problem is an interesting one, and keen interest is felt in its working out. The masses of the American people, nominally educated, in the sense that a little schooling constitutes education, are asleep as yet to the portent of this church attempt to control in state and national politics. When the awakening comes, who can forecast the result? Will our people permit themselves to be bound in the chains of clerical slavery by the rack and thumbscrew methods of the Middle Ages? Or will they arise in their might and rend the conspirators who are working to overturn the cherished doctrine of separation of the state and church, one of the boasted tenets of our governmental creed? Time alone will tell, but there are those who predict that when the awakening does come, it will be a day of wrath and quick judgment. Tax-exempt churches will not then be used as political rostrums for the enslavement of free Americans by any creed or sect. Let us hope that in the reckoning, justice and wisdom may prevail, to the extent at least that the innocent may not suffer with the guilty. 1909 End of Section 7 The Church in Politics